Welcome to the Energetic Radio Podcast. My name is Dale Sidebottom. Each week, I'll bring you inspirational guests who will help you bring fun, energy, and purpose into your lives. Let the show begin. All right, everyone, welcome back to the podcast. It's episode number 308 with JJ Brun. How are you, JJ? Did I get that right? I don't think I did. <laughs> It's always hard for a, for an Anglophone to pronounce a French name. So my my Dale, my my full name is Jean Jacques Joseph Brun, but I go by JJ. Uh, when oh, I was working, you. Was, <laughs> couldn't pronounce couldn't pronounce my name. So, uh, but they could say, "Hey, John Jack," and you know they're saying John Jack. They thought they were bilingual until one day a British colleague came into the uh, the house uh, where we were working in in Bosnia and. He just said, hey, Jai Jai. I'm like, Jean-Jacques. So I connected the dots oh, and I answered and I got branded. So ever since, it's just JJ. Uh, it's just easier for people to remember. Uh, but translated, it would be uh, John Brown. So John Brown. John Brown is Jean Brown is a French translation of that. So JJ is well, fine, Dan. Perfect. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I uh, I think that's one of the, the hardest things I find with podcasting is trying to pronounce people's names. And you don't want to start off by, we're going to talk about, you know, building relationships and things today. I think one of the worst ways you can build a relationship is by masquering somebody's name and uh, starting that connection in a horrible way. So I do appreciate you making me feel comfortable there, JJ. Now, before we get into talking about the retired spy, because I'm so excited, I've never had the opportunity to speak to a spy before. It's sort of that uh, mysterious sort of stigma around you. Before we do that, what is one thing in the last seven days that has lit you up, that has brought you joy? My first uh, upcoming trip to Australia. Uh, last week, we just uh, came up with a date. Uh, and uh, so we know that uh, there's an event in Australia. So it's on the 1st and the 2nd of July of 2024. So uh, I've been looking at my calendar and I'm very excited because, okay, well, I'll take the last week of June and I'm going to take the, the first week, uh, the first two weeks of July and all 15 days in Australia. It'll be my first time uh, in Australia. Uh, well, as a Canadian, we hear so much about Australia. Uh, so it's like, I'm excited. And then I, I was uh, talking to my wife and and we looked at how much time it's going to take. And it's like, <laughs> all right, looks like we're upgrading to from economy to maybe business class, uh, just so that we have a, a great experience. So we're excited. Uh, we're now like, so we have to exercise. We have to get in shape. We want to you know so many things to do. And okay, well, there's Sydney, and, and then well, there's Brisbane, and that's like okay, well, uh, Gold Coast is so uh, it's exciting right now because we're just uh, dreaming and 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 looking at uh, places and things we want to do and people who want to also connect with uh, that. We've always been exchanging emails, but now we're actually going to be able to uh, connect in person. So, uh, yeah, thank you for asking. But, yeah, that's uh, exciting for us because we've never been to Australia. We're actually also thinking of flying to New Zealand. Oh, yes. And then coming to Australia because for some reason the flight is less expensive if you go through New Zealand than to directly to Australia, which we don't know why. However, we would then be able to take uh, not an Air Canada flight, but a, uh, a New Zealand flight. And so to experience the whole the whole culture we did that one time when we went to uh had an event over in france so we took air france 
Air France. We took Air France to go and the menu is a little bit different. You know, everything's a little bit different and just to immerse ourselves in a different culture. So yeah, we're quite excited and most likely probably going to go to New Zealand first and then uh, because is it an hour and a half? New Zealand to Australia? Uh, about about three hours. Um, it's really like a domestic flight for us in 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 Australia. Um, and I think nearly probably the best airline I've ever flown with is Air New Zealand. They're fantastic. And I would highly recommend going to New Zealand for not only it's a beautiful country, but the cultural experience, um, particularly how well they've preserved their heritage and, you know, they celebrate it. Um, it's extremely admirable. It's, it's really nice to see. I know that in New, uh, New Zealanders, uh, I heard a, a colleague um, from New Zealand refer to New Zealand is to Australia what Canada is to the United States. And I'm like, what? Canada is small compared to the United States. New Zealanders are small compared to Australia. You know, big brother. And I'm like, oh. And uh, I'm like, oh, that's nice. As in they found a common link or they provided us with a common link in regards to what New Zealand or New Zealand is to, to Canada. So I thought that was quite interesting. Uh, I'm like, oh, yeah, because we do have a big influence as in our, uh, the Americans do have a, a big influence uh, because we're so close. Uh, and how Australia does probably have a, a big influence also on New, on New Zealand because yeah. you're so close. Well, we we really are, and we're so isolated from everywhere. I suppose being Australian, New Zealand, so um, we are very fortunate uh, that we get along so well. Now, we're talking about obviously traveling and things like that, which and I and I I take my hat off to you because I think one thing JJ we've all missed is over COVID. You know, not being able to travel or particularly what you and your wife are doing now, the excitement of planning a trip, you know, like mm. that's brilliant. And it, it just, the way you were talking there, it just excites me because it does light people up. Do you mean like the anticipation and build up to it, it's amazing. So um, that's really cool. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate it. Now you're on here today because you are a retired spy. And for my first question, I'm sorry if this is a bit rude, but how do you become a spy? Like that was your career counselor at school going, JJ, you're very sneaky. You're good at hiding and scaring people. What? How does this happen? We did you like really good as a kid at like finding things, or I don't know. Can you explain like how does this? How does it happen? Uh, it was not a a big strategic plan to become <laughs> a retired spy. Um, it was more of um, um, when I was uh, at university, I, I was studying phys ed. So I was, I was going to become a, a phys ed teacher. Um, and um, I had a fight with, with my dad and it revolved around money. And so I decided at that point that, well, that's the last time that you're ever going to have to spend any money on me. So for me, the military was an exit strategy. So it was a way out of a, of a tough situation. I have a good relationship with dad, just but back then, dad was paying for everything. And, and, we, and he was having a tough time. If I had waited six months, everything opened up. Dad, dad is a self-made millionaire as an entrepreneur. So, but there was a gap where everything was so tight and you know, the stress, the anxiety. Uh, and he wanted so much for 
his kids to get a university degree that he never had. And the expectation was so high. Um, and, but then it became a, a money issue and to the point where I'll, I had enough of that. And, and so the military was an exit strategy. And to be accepted, I and as opposed to, to being a staff officer, I decided to be at the bottom of, of, the, of the totem pole as in, you know what, I'm just going to go in as a soldier. So I got selected real fast. But I also progressed rapidly in the ranks. So for me, I did five years with the, the Royal 22nd Regiment, the Royal 22nd Regiment. So the Royal 22nd Regiment is the only French regiment that we have. And what takes you eight years to accomplish, you know, to becoming a, uh, a staff sergeant, uh, I did it in less than four years, which is a blessing and it's a curse at the same time. Uh, it's a blessing because, you know, you're the new generation. I was bigger, stronger, taller, uh, bilingual, computer literate. I was the new breed, if you wish, back then in the 80s um, of soldiering. Uh, it's a curse because the old guard don't like you very much, uh, because, you know, you should do your time like I did my time. So at that point I decided that, you know what, I need to have a, a little career path, uh, change. And the only thing that interested me was the intelligence branch. I, I kind of liked the fact that it was mysterious. Uh, it was like, Oh, that's cool. That's gotta be so sexy, you know, because the only image that we had <laughs> Of you know the intelligence is the James Bond uh, is a, a series so and it just captivated me hmm, of you know, getting to know information that nobody else has and and uh, all of that uh, the, uh, environment just just uh, just I was just I was just curious so I applied and I got accepted uh, within thirty days change from infantry to the intelligence branch. And within the intelligence branch, I served a total of 15 years. And in the last part of those uh, 15 years, those 10 years was specializing in the field of human intelligence. Because the intelligence community has different collecting platforms. Uh, um, imagery intelligence, you know, we take satellites, we have pictures and that's fine. Uh, signal intelligence, yes, we can listen to your phone calls. Uh, acoustic intelligence, yes, when the Russians uh, start up uh, a typhoon uh, submarine, we can hear it. Uh, but what I specialize in is in human intelligence. So it's called human, it's a collecting platform. So you have all of these collecting platforms, collecting information, all centralizing it so that the commanding officers can make an informed decision as to what's happening on the terrain so they can allocate the, the resources appropriately. So my claim to fame back then is that I was the first one selected for the role of a contact handler. Now, a contact handler is a person where he or she is sent into a hostile environment. So for me, it happens to be Bosnia, Herzegovina during the war, where he or she has to cultivate sources in that hostile environment, build relationships um, by design and not by chance and determines people's intention and modify their behaviors if and when required without the use of any Jedi mind tricks. So basically I was going to be evaluated by my ability to connect with people by design and not by chance. And I had a problem. Um, I was sent to spy school in the UK to learn to becoming a contact handler. When the day, when the course was over, 
the next day I'm, I'm flying into uh, Zagreb and then from Zagreb to Sarajevo, then Sarajevo take, took two days to travel to a place called Mostar. And in Mostar, we had a safe house in Medjugorje. And that's where I lived with seven, five to seven different nationalities, all contact handlers, English being the working language. Uh, I did my training with a Nazi uh, when I was in spy school in the UK. Uh, I'm not going to mention his name just in case. Uh, but uh, we hit it off pretty good. Uh, I liked him a lot. Then I lost track of him uh, because we weren't deployed in the same place uh, over there. But that sort of like was my claim to fame, being the first one. And my biggest fear, uh, being the first Canadian, that, oh, my gosh, uh, I don't want to be like a survivor moment in that uh, TV series where the first one is voted off the island. <laughs> uh, so um, I was not, because I was new at this. I, I never knew. Uh, I was just a, a very uh, industrious. Um, I was the first team to get out in the morning, seven o'clock in the morning, we're out. And the last team to come in that night, seven o'clock. So I just outworked everyone. Uh, and, and then we had over a hundred people uh, or informants working uh, for our team on our behalf. So just to get a sense of what was happening. And then I was rec recommended for advanced operations. So it sort of like set my career path uh, within that area, being the first one selected, but also excelling at it and being recommended for more advanced operations. Um, but Dale, if I did not have a model of reference in regards to understanding people, I wouldn't have succeeded. I would have been voted off that island because I believe that if you do not use a model in your business or in your personal life, a model to better understand people, Mars Briggs, True Colors, Neo, MMPI, Enneagram, Strength Finder, Bank Codes, the Bird Model, there's there's a hundred models out there to better understand people. I have a big I have my favorite. You find yours, but master it. Find yours and master it. Put in the ten thousand hours plus, and, and master that uh, that product. For me, it was the four temperament model of human behavior, also known as the DISC model. So I specialize a lot of time. Uh, I was exposed to it. I got certified in that model. Actually, in uh, September of 1999, that was a defining moment. Yeah, September of 1999. Uh, and I became a student ever since. And now I have uh, 30 years of learning, studying, teaching the model. And I have over 30,000 hours of application of that tool. Uh, so for me, it is definitely a force multiplier. It multiplies your capabilities and your professional or your personal relationship. I had to go to Bosnia in a war zone to better understand how to build, build relationships with my son and my daughter. Wow. That is weird. How, sorry, to, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, like, is, was it just because you're in such a, uh, such a like foreign place that it made you realize, like it hit home about different things that were going on with your kids or... How, how did that occur? I've always been very uh, driven, uh, determined, uh, decisive type of persona. And um, I forget who's the who's the author made reference to 
that when you're, your only tool is a hammer, you know, you tend to see everybody as a nail. And it, it, it scared me that as a parent that I would raise my daughter or that I would raise my son uh, as a drill sergeant, right? Hammering in. Um, and it concerned me because I hear all of the war stories of how the, those uh, those kids would rebel and, and sometimes uh, to the point where, you know, uh, using uh, gun to, you know, to attack the, their parents or their father and their other mother that um, is overbearing and pushed to an extreme. So those are the sort of like in the, in the back there, the, the little war stories of my concerns. So when when I found out about the model, it was an aha moment, an, an epiphany, if you wish, of, man, I, I sure would have been nice if I had this uh, when I was growing up with dad. Sure would have been nice if I had this in high school. Sure would have, you know, sure have, could have, would have. As in, um, I remember in that September of 1999, Dr. Robert A. Rome, he was the, he's the president, he's still the president of Personality Insights. And I was on my little soapbox and whining and complaining, shoulda, coulda, woulda, you know, this would have that and that. And then he said to me, JJ, don't curse the darkness, switch on the light. Oh, oh that's good. I'm going to write that. I don't know what it means, but I'm going to, it sounds good. I'm going to write it out. Right. <laughs> it's like basically, wah, 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 wah. like you whining, you're whining, you're, but you don't have to, you're going downstairs. Oh, it's dark. I can't see anything. It's so dark. I'm going to bust my toes. I'm going to, oh, I'm going to tip things over. Stop cursing the darkness. Go to the you know, and switch on the light. So you don't have to work in darkness. And I did not understand what that meant. It's like, okay, well, that's the past. So your mess is your message in life. Your mess is your message. Your mission, if you so choose to accept it, is to share with others what you've learned mm. in your life. And I'm like, love that. So I always question myself in high school. Uh, what do I want to do? What do I want to be? You know, because you have your parents asking you and or they want you to be an engineer. They want you to be a doctor. They want you to be a lawyer. They want you to be a one of these uh, uh, professions or professionals. But I just remember always being asked. So what are you going to do after high school? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What do you want to be? What do you want to be? What do you want to be? I didn't know. I was I was acluistic, one without a clue. And it just <laughs> seems that it was the longest time ever. Uh, when I hit my 40s, Dr. Rome uh, shared me a book called uh, Purpose Driven Life. And it takes 40 days, 40 days to read it because there's 40 principles, but you have to read one a day. Uh, it's how the, the number 40 is, is used over and over and over uh, in the good book. And I'm like, oh. And again, oh, sure would have been nice. Uh, what's your purpose in life? Why, why are you here? So it, it was really good as in that's sort of like where I struggled growing up. And when I discovered myself, uh, it really helped in, in seeing that, wow, I ran over a lot of people. Hmm. And then uh, it just gives you an opportunity to, to start over. So like when I came back and, and I did a self-assessment with my daughter and, and then I taught my daughter at the age of eight, I taught her the model of human behavior at the age of eight. And my son was 13 because there's a, they're, they're five, five years difference. And hence uh, our whole family has been dyskinesed. Does, don't look it up in the dictionary. I just made up that word, but we speak dyskinesed. 
we speak, I speak three languages. I speak French, English, and I speak the DISC model or the four temperament model of human behavior. My daughter learned that model at a very young age. When we would start school, because September for us is when we school starts. So our ritual would be that she's not allowed to interact uh, with, with the teacher. She's to observe the teacher. Is the teacher a little bit more outgoing, fast paced, or is the teacher a little bit more reserved, slower pace? You know, if you have to choose between the two. And then she has to look at, well, do you sense the teacher is a little bit more task oriented in her day-to-day -day activity? Or do you see she's a little bit more on the people side of the, you know, during you know, throughout the day? And then my daughter would discern. So it's like, uh, oh, she's more outgoing. Oh, okay. Uh, she's definitely people, dad, definitely people. Okay, well, that's quadrant, outgoing and, and, and people oriented. Well, that's the inspiring style blend. That persona loves to have fun. They're inspiring, influencing, inducing. That happens to be my daughter's style. That's her persona. So it's like perfect. One year she said, Oh, dad, she's she's more reserved. Oh, okay, we're going reserved. Yeah. Oh, she's definitely tasked, dad. Definitely tasked. Oh, that's that C persona. They're cautious, calculating, conscientious. That's completely opposite to my daughter. Oh, that's going to be hard. <laughs> and, and then she says, That's okay, dad. I'll just do this. And I'm like, well, what is that? Like, she's just gesturing like she was putting something on a hook. And she goes, I'm just going to leave my eye at the door because she's an eye style blend. Your eye at the door. Well, yeah, I'll just put my eye at the door and then I'll adopt another persona. I'll be the C. I'll sit up front. I won't talk to my friend on the side. I'll look in at, at the teacher and I'll raise my hand while I have a question. Like, Oh my gosh, she gets it at the age of eight. And it, what, what are you what are you going to do after the class? Well, Dad, I'm going to take my eye because <laughs> she's going to go and play. So it became very apparent to me the value of this is the one day that I saw her because we were we have a, a walking school. Uh, Julie and I, Julie is my wife. Um, we always wanted to have somebody at the house, so for lunch or for supper. Um, so there's no daycares and it's a walking school. So there's no buses. So we would walk her to school. And at a certain age, she was, she was free to walk on her own because she would walk with her best friend. But one day she's on one side of the road and her best friend's on the other side of the road. And you can tell, right? You can tell that mm, they had a fight. So when, when uh, my daughter came in and said, Oh, honey, is it, is every, is everything okay with, with the uh, media star? Did, did, did you have a fight? Oh, dad, it's okay. Her D's out of control. She'll be fine tomorrow. <laughs> so her D as in her, her friend, her best friend is Miss Susan, dominant, direct, demanding. And she was able to not take things, any per, anything personal because the self-assessment that she took, that I gave to my daughter, it provided a 30-page computerized report of her style blend. So the first third of the reports for me, the parent, this is your child. This is how to parent to the trace of your child. That's what I was looking for. So to not be that hammer that I was referring to at the beginning. The second trait, I mean, the second third of the, of the report is for the, the child. So this is your child. Uh, and it's, it, it, it increases self-esteem and self-worth if they see that they're not in competition. And the last third of the report is for the teacher. This is your student. This is how to teach to the traits of your student. So it's very personalized. So I would always photocopy that last part of the report 
and give it to her uh, homeroom teacher every year so that they would know exactly how to get the best out of my daughter when they were at school. So it was a, the professor would look at the report, look at my daughter, look at the report, look at my daughter, and where do you get these? Because you know, the teacher wanted the reports for every kid in the classroom <laughs> uh, so that they can prepare accordingly. So, yeah, I had to go to Bosnia. See, I had to to see the, the truth spoken is not as powerful as the truth that's been self-discovered. So I found out about this tool just by reading and studying. I go into a, a, that terrain. Um, I build relationships using uh, that tool. I'm able to read people more effectively and discern their preferred communication style and then speak that, that, that communication style. And then I said, well, if it worked over there in a hostile environment, sometimes we do have a hostile environment at home. I wonder <laughs> if it worked at home. And that's how it got started. It's, I wish I had this when I was growing up with dad. I wish I had this when uh, I was in high school. But then again, your mess is your message. And then a your lot. mission in life is to share with others what you've learned. And do I have a 20-year career in the military? This year, I'm celebrating 25 years in business uh, with a DHC Training Solutions. The DHC stands for Decoding Human Capital. I teach or equip people of seeing people as having a human capital waiting to be discovered. So, you know, I have, I have a, big, a saying of know before you show. Before you show a product, a service, an opportunity, before you present that idea, you need to discern their preferred communication style. What's their pace perspective? Are they more outgoing or are they more reserved? You know, they have a preference, you know, outgoing, reserved. Oh, they're more outgoing. Okay, got two choices. Are they, are they leaning more on the task side or on the people side? Where does he lean? Oh, more on the task side. Okay, well, that's the deeper song, dominant, direct, demanding. Uh, you need to speak in that that type of language. Uh, not too long ago, Dale, I did a, uh, uh, a competition. After COVID, it was time to you know get back on the stage and uh, and, and I, I wanted to present a new a new keynote uh, or I wrote a script of a new keynote and I called it "How to Successfully Navigate Hostile Environments Using the F Word." So I don't know about you in Australia, but the F Word. <laughs> Yeah, it gets people's attention. It's, oh my gosh, is he going to drop the f bomb? So, uh, and and that two two Australian colleagues were actually we also share the stage there. That two doctors were were at the event. Uh, we got a chance to spend some time with it. Oh, I got to reach out to them. Uh, and uh, we were there, and we shared the stage. Uh, and then the audience gets to vote uh, for some of the uh, awards. So I became a three-time award-winning speaker at that event. And one of my British, uh, uh, not British, but uh, Aussie uh, colleague also won the presidential award uh, for her presentation. So it is so funny uh, because I would have never done that keynote the way that I did it. And the fact that it, it uh, resonated so well with the audience, I've put it on my website. So if you wanted to go and see it, you just have to go because we put the whole 20 minute uh, presentation. So it's more like a TED format in the yep. sense of it's only a 20 minute. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you go to speaking and then you'll see the you'll see the little icon for how to successfully navigate hostile environments using the airport. Because in today's time, we do have more hostile environments. It's like uh, uh, and you st you have to navigate through those. 
So, and if you don't have a model of reference, uh, and whether it's in business or in your personal life, uh, you may just beach that craft uh, versus navigating through the storm. So, but have a have a look. You'll find it. Uh, oh, I do, and I like the the title's very catchy, JJ. I, I do appreciate that, and I can see why that resonated and sort of hooks people in. Very important. One thing I want to go back to everything you were just talking about. I was I was finding it really fascinating. Um, you know, when you're saying you wish you knew this when you were younger. Um, from darkness to light, you worry about the darkness. Essentially, everything you've been speaking about relates just being present. Do you know I mean like being present with yourself and the people you're around because you can't change the past that's already gone and the future may not even occur. So why do we worry about it? Um, yeah. Essentially that's what you're doing by building those connections that is in the present moment. If you don't do that right, then nothing else matters. That's, am I getting that right? That's, that's the, yeah. the main thing I'm taking away from that. Yes. Uh, I have, I don't, I don't have it here. I have a little, uh, it's almost like a little rubber band, something like this around the wrist. Oops. Uh, and it, it says on it, just do the next right thing. That's like being in the moment. And it's like, okay, you know, life provides you a character building moment. Right? So just do the next right thing. What is the next right thing? Well, you, you've got the right to, to start over with the information you have today. Uh, but yes, I, yeah, just to be in the moment, present uh helps and then when you just do the next sometimes doing the next right thing is you know what uh brush your teeth put your pjs go to bed sometimes yeah. that's the next right thing to do um and, and it's just different but when you're not present yeah uh, you're going to probably going to experience a character building moment misunderstanding occurs and, yeah uh and, and and then you know not having a model of reference uh, does not assist. So to go back to your original question, you know, in regards to how do you become a spy? In the intelligence community, we don't re uh, refer to itself as, as spies. You know, you are an intelligence operator. You are an intelligence officer, as in that's the name of the, the profession. So getting into the intelligence branch, uh, I was an operator. So I, I started, it's a non-commissioned, as a non-commissioned officer, uh, I was an operator. And then from there, uh, as we evolved, um, uh, five years in the infantry, uh, and then uh, five, 10 years in the intelligence branch, then I became a staff officer. Like you can, so I did, I did the blue collar side of, of, of work and I did the white collar side. So I saw both sides and uh, we see ourselves as as an intelligence uh, operator, an intelligence officer, a staff officer. We're just working within the intelligence community. We don't see ourselves as. The lesson here, or the point that I'm looking to, to make here, is that we tend to label what we don't understand. Well, uh, we tend to label what we don't understand. Um, we're looking at the James Bond. Oh, my gosh. And that's what, it, no, that's what it's got to be. Uh, we're looking at uh, uh, what's the other uh, big spy? Um, the British has the MI6, Mission Impossible, right? And all those series and all the nice cars and all of the uh, like 
I was sharing with you that at the beginning, hey, I'm going to Australia, I, I, how much time it takes to travel. When you're watching the movies, they never have any jet lag. <laughs> right? Funny that, isn't it? They never, they, they never have any problem crossing the border. Uh, they always have the, the, the proper currency, right? They always have the nice clothes. I'm like, where's your luggage when you're traveling? <laughs> uh, that little briefcase, my gosh, it holds a lot of things. So because we tend to label what we don't understand. I have this card here, right? So you're seeing it, it says license to kill, secret agent. I got this in Las Vegas, right? <laughs> it's like Daniel Craig is there, he's got his name and all that. So, you know, it, we're always bombarded with uh, with this image of what the intelligence is. Uh, there are more spy movies now because you have Netflix, you have uh, uh, Prime, uh, you have all these different uh, outlets that have all these little, nice little series. Some are based on true stories. Um, but it's always been captivating, right? We've always been captivating with the mystique uh the type of training and we do get specialized training um i went my first trip over to the uk uh, uh i went on a prisoner handling and tactical questioning so it was an interrogator course all i heard is who here has never been to the uk i rose <laughs> i haven't been to the uk and, and then okay and then i'm going to the uk cool Oh, you're going on this interrogator course. What? <laughs> okay. And it's seven days. Oh, so like uh, five days a weekend off and then, no, it's seven days straight. Well, that's different, you know, because in, well, we don't work on Saturdays and Sundays, but they have, it, you know, it starts on a, on a Saturday and it ends on a Saturday. It's like, it was seven straight days. The first hour Dale, first hour, I'm stripped naked, thrown into a cell, prison cell, <laughs> and one ticked off, pissed off British warrant officer yelling at me centimeters or millimeters from me. Wow. Right? Yelling nine minutes nonstop is what I, I found out later on. It's called a harsh, uh, like yelling yelling i was wearing his breath how close he was black he, he takes his coffee black for sure uh, <laughs> he needs some mints do they do that obviously to just to completely put you outside your comfort zone like you know really i think, I think yes uh, but here's what they shared with us because after like we had four interrogation going at the same time because you hear all this yelling Things smashing, uh, door sma uh, uh, smash, uh, uh, shutting. Is they're all metal doors and the, the seal like the, it's all cement and metal. It's cold and you're you're not pretending. You're butt naked. Uh, <laughs> and when you have another a guy looking at it, anyways, and, and everything on your body, they they work at they work it. They play it. And I just knew that they were not allowed to touch you. They, they were still using the Geneva Convention, and you're supposed to say, "I cannot answer that question." And as soon as I said, I cannot answer that question, they would just yell even more. Oh, and then make fun of, oh, I cannot answer that question. So they, they, it just was like, what the heck? When it was all said and done, it's like, get back, get dressed and go back in the classroom. I'm doing this and I'm seeing all the other ones and all our heads are down. 
for like that a dog with a tail in between the legs is like oh my gosh i'm thinking what the heck am i here for i'm in <laughs> over my head i should have never what the like it's a shock and awe so the realism now when we're all finished because we're about 16 on the course we're, we're all there and all the instructors come up they all lined up i was student number three and they dissected us and everything that they captured on us. And I'm number three. It's number three. Boom, 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 boom. And I was flabbergasted how much information they had on me. The fact that I didn't answer one question. Wow. But they've looked at all the micro gestures. They call it leakage. The When I was pumping and then my fist closing and then they were, they knew my triggers. They were getting ready for the second interrogation. And then the chief instructor said, uh, does it stand to reason that if you're going to be an interrogator, you should at least have a small experience of what it feels like to be interrogated? Very true. Wow. And I'm I'm and I'm happy it was only nine minutes. Uh, it felt <laughs> much longer. But then we have to practice doing a nine-minute harsh on a cardboard figure eleven target uh, on a firing range. It's like a silhouette. It's like a we call it a figure eleven. So it just looks like a, a person with a helmet and with a, with a gun and you have to you know aim for the mass. So it's not even a real person, but you have to pretend it's a real person. And then you have to yell at that person. And I mean yelling at that person for nine minutes nonstop. It is hard. Wow. What are you going to say for nine minutes nonstop? And it's not so, even a real it's not even a real person to like you can't gauge any body language like you were saying, you know, there's no clenched fists or different types of breathing. Like it's <laughs> very was done in 20 challenging. Seconds. <laughs> I was done. I was done in 20 seconds. And then I'm like, I'm gonna fail. So I, I switched French. I went French. So I did a harsh in French because I'm much better swearing in French than I am in English. And and all my mad, all the everything that I was mad about in life. And, when, and, and growing up and in high school and, and asking for a girl to go to go out and she said no and so I, I just just took all Let that energy. <laughs> I just went I just went at that and I'm like well you know I'm either, either gonna not gonna pass or I'm gonna fail uh, but I got through the nine minute and I'm like okay I'm better in French than English okay because English yeah I don't, I, uh, but French, yeah, I, I, I've studied in theology. I know a lot more swear words in French. <laughs> uh, and it worked out. Uh, it worked out for me. Uh, but that was the, um, it was a big, the type of training that you would never have the opportunity to take. Uh, the John Reed interview and interrogation technique. That's another one. Uh, the contact handler. Uh, that's a full month plus. Uh, uh, you know, how, how do you do that? Uh, how to do an extraction. So, so it was, it was, uh, uh, I'm happy for the 20 years. I'm happy there, like, but it, I moved on. Uh, but from there, there's more to do. Like for me, uh, I still have, oh, yeah, I got another 15 years in me uh, in regards to what I, what I love to do, because it's all about equipping people for works of service. As in, I want to share with others what I've learned. I want to equip them at a younger age than when I started. I've done that with my daughter. So at 25, she now lives in Germany. I've uh, assisted uh, her. Uh, I called him for the longest time, her male acquaintance. So they got <laughs> married. have been going out since high school, so nine years or so. Uh, but uh, they got married in June. 
And then uh, they, uh, I assisted him in a, a job interview of, of what to say, what not to say. Uh, and then from there, I got, he got the position for three years. So they moved to Germany. So like hey, at the age of 25 and you're in Europe, you're connected by these, this, this network of trains. You can, you know, they've already been to Amsterdam. They've been to Belgium. They're two hours away from, from Paris. Oh my gosh. What an experience at the age of 25, right? To start there. My son uh, learning the model of human behavior at the age of 25, he was a senior financial advisor for the Canadian Coast Guard. How the heck do you do that? He's able to talk people's language. Yeah. I was very strong in that C quadrant. He also has that people aspect. So he's a, a certain style that he's a CSD, which is cautious, supportive, direct style blend. Like there's a there's a reasoning in him. He's able to talk to people and to have empathy and then make a decision uh, based on that. And he's done very well. And at the age of 30, oh, my gosh, he's he's actually earning twice the salary that I was earning when I was <laughs> my, in my last year in the military. Doing quite well. Uh, and in, on his. Uh, this has, yeah, this is. Yeah, he's 30 this year and he wanted to have a father and son trip. I'm like, all right, so where do you want to go? And he says, Germany. Germany. Out of all the countries that you visit, why Germany? In high school, he always wanted to learn German and never got to. So now he Fair wants enough. to go to Germany. So I'm like, all right, we're, looks Let's like we're it. having a, an assignment. So <laughs> I like uh, Germany. Uh, <laughs> I like that, JJ. And I, it really does relate that, uh, you know, connection before content. I talk a lot about this. Uh, it doesn't matter where you are, what you do in the world. If you don't have a connection with someone, it doesn't matter what you're trying to sell them or what you're trying to teach them. It's not going to work, you know, and essentially that's what you've taught your kids. But now you're teaching so many other people that that is the number one thing we've got, that building relationships and being able to understand people and talk is so important. Um, one thing I'm really fascinated with is, you know, listening to your story before, you know, butt naked, getting yelled at, all these different training sort of really full-on things. Did that take its toll on you at any stage? Did you have any, you know, like really sort of low periods that you battled because of, you know, you're really in extreme harsh conditions that, you know, people are attacking you personally. Um, did you have some like hard hardships? I never sensed that I was going to die. Uh, while I was in the uh, in Bosnia, um, um, if it's to be, it's up to me. You know, that's sort of like a saying. You know, you're gonna get out of life what you put into. But if if my time, you know, is if my time is there, my time is there. As and I'm I'm not going to lose any sleep. Uh, I I do believe that there is a God, and I was informed that it's not me. Uh, <laughs> you sure sometimes yeah, well, well, that... well, you know, she she has informed me on, on, on one uh, and we what uh 34 yeah next year we'll celebrate 35 years so i've been happily married for 34 years yeah no that's not the saying the saying is i've been married for 34 years happily for 32 so because <laughs> it was two years I was always on deployment. I was not actually at home. But next May, we're going to be celebrating 35 years. And that's the Australia trip. 
that's the celebration you want to so yeah it's it's like it's worth celebrating uh i'm not everyone's cup of tea and she's like wow she's persevered 35 years uh she deserves it she is my queen so we got to treat our queen guys we got to treat our queen <laughs> we so, we do uh hardship yeah you do you you know from time to time you do have your why am i here am i making a difference uh you know your little uh, the the pity party um when i did that 20 years and and made that choice of you know it's time to put in my my papers to you know, my resignation and i resigned in january as and it would be effective at the end of august i gave the and I, I didn't blindside them. I I've informed them in January of that year that I was leaving for for bigger things. Uh, so, but to come to that decision, there's a lot of uh, reflective and and I had contracts lined up for nine months uh, from the time that I left. So it just created that momentum uh, for me uh, when I was in Bosnia. Um, there's only one time I put a, a I put a bullet in a chamber. So see, here's the thing. People think that you you have a perception of how much uh, equipment that you have. When I flew in from London to Zagreb, I was picked up by a Canadian at the airport. Uh, came into the the office, uh, provide me with some you know, the currency, uh, my paperwork, cover story. Uh, uh, ration uh, and the key to the hotel because we have a one night hotel stay and then he gave me my weapon one pistol two magazines ten bullets that's it each magazine can hold ten bullets one pistol two magazines ten bullets and I looked at him, I was like, Where, where's the rest? Shouldn't I be getting 20, right? He goes, no, it says here, one pistol, two magazine, 10 bullets, sign here. Well, what, where's the holster? I'll just put it in your pocket. No, that's, 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 called, that's considered a concealed weapon. You're not supposed to have a concealed weapon you're supposed to show it in your because if you're going to be in uniform, uh, just just put it in your pocket. It's like, what if I use a bullet? Right? Where do where do I get other bullets? That's not my problem. One pistol, two magazines. <laughs> <two bullets>. Sign here, <laughs> move on. <laughs> and it's like, okay, so when when I leave, I have to when I leave theater after my tour, I have to go back to see him, that person. And I have to give him one pistol, two magazines, 10 bullets. To which I said, well, what if I return you nine bullets? And I give, you know, do I have to bring you the empty shell to prove that I used it? Because that's a court martial. Because you have to bring me one pistol, two magazines, 10 bullets. <laughs> it wasn't going anywhere. I knew right there that what I was provided was, was just a, a strategy to get out of a tight position as in i'm not going to go and defend a position with a pistol i don't have a long rifle i don't have like these 10 magazines uh, all all of the uh, movies that you're seeing them with the vest and all the equipment and the sar teams and the uh the delta teams or the 
I was in trouble. So for me, uh, my biggest asset was my ability to build relationships with people by design and not by chance. It would be, um, yeah, that simple instrument as a pencil. Uh, the pencil became became the weapon. Uh, are you familiar with? Are you familiar with the pencil? The, the five things you can learn from a pencil. Oh, you're gonna love, love this as a teacher, as a I former love. teacher. Let's go. There's, this is known as the parable of the pencil. Um, so this is how it goes. I'll, I'll give you the short version. The manufacturer, the creator, the inventor of this pencils before he sends out the pencil in the environment says there's five things you must learn and never forget in your life as a pencil. Number one, before you can be usable as a pencil, you must first be willing to be placed in somebody else's hand. You cannot be usable unless you're placed in somebody else's hand. Number two, you're gonna go through some sharpening in your life as a pencil. And it's going to hurt. I'm not going to hide it. It's going to hurt. Let me encourage you. You're going to be better because of the sharpening in your life as a pencil. Every sharpening will make you better. Number three, you're going to make mistakes in your life as a pencil. I know. That's why I placed an eraser at the end. Number four, your true core value is not found on the outside. It's not your shape, it's not your color, it's not your size, it's what I place inside of you that you will find your true core value. And number five, and the most important one, the one that you should never, never forget, you were designed, created, invented for one thing and one thing only. And that's to leave your mark on every surface you come in contact with Ooh. in your life. So I've never this. I've never heard that, Jay, and that's that is brilliant. That's a great analogy. So for us as teachers, trainers, coaches, consultants, before I do work with a client, with a person, I need five five things, five criterions. Number one, are you teachable? You're not teachable. Can't do anything. Yeah. Are you willing to go through some sharpening? They call life <laughs> character building moments. <laughs> they all hurt, but are we not better because of the life character building moments? We're going to make mistakes in our lives. I'm going to mispronounce your name. <laughs> I did. <laughs> Use the eraser. We've got the right to start over with the information we have today. Our true core value is not found on the outside. It's not the outside persona that we adopt in order to be successful is the inside persona where your true core value your strengths will carry you stay in your strength and you will never burn out so those basic because they're based on your true core value that's inside of you and then one thing the last one is that you were designed created invented for one thing and one thing only and that's to seed in other people's lives your message your message your mission now is to share with others what you've learned is what I would call the legacy awareness. Legacy awareness is where everything that you've invested in your life outlives your life. That's you leaving that mark on people. Sometimes it could be as simple as seeing somebody at the cashier and, and offering that person a smile. Hey, thank you. Appreciate you. Leaving your mark. Yeah. Right? So it doesn't that, have to be very complicated. No, uh, but, but I think... I think... I'll send you an article that I wrote uh, there's a newsletter that I wrote. Uh, I'll send you a copy of it. Uh, That'd be 
That'd be great. I'll, I'll be able to put that in the show notes because um, I really resonate with what you've just spoken about there, JJ. And I think a lot of people will as well because everybody knows a pencil and it's very simple what you just said, but it's also so powerful. And when you can get those two messages going together, I absolutely love that. So for listeners, JJ will send that through to me and I'll have it on show notes, uh, episode number 308. Now, um, JJ, before we go, people like, as we spoke about earlier, you mentioned about your free gift uh, with the questions um, because that is so powerful. And if people have got not only the questions to build those connections and deeper understand people, and then they've also got an analogy of the pencil, you're leaving everyone with every, you're making yourself obsolete. You still want people to come to see you on the Gold Coast, mate. Like don't, don't do such a good job on this podcast that uh, you're just going to completely outraise yourself. Um, <laughs> where, the retired spy. Uh, what what can we expect on your website? And uh, yeah, where do we get those ten questions? Because I know people will be listening today, thinking, "Yes, anything to improve uh, my way of making relationships and connections is really powerful." Well, definitely, uh, it's very simple. Uh, in that, you go to theretiredspy.com, and you'll you'll hit the main landing page. And from the landing page, there should be something that will pop up that says uh, 10 questions. So if not, you, you, sc you go scroll all the way down uh, and then you'll find uh, an area where that is actually there. But I can also provide you with, uh, I most likely have it, I'll have a URL for you. Oh, that'll be even better for you. So I'll put this in the chat for you. Yeah, if you send that through, and that way uh, anybody listening to this, if you just go straight to the show notes, as I said before, for episode number 308, I'll have links to the 10 questions so you can go straight on there um, and start enjoying those today. So, JJ, mate, thank you so much for uh, – I feel like we could keep talking for everybody. It, uh, I really – yeah, I didn't expect that pencil at the end. I really enjoyed – isn't it funny when – he, like, I was really curious because spies are so mysterious. Um, you don't know what you're going to get until you actually sit down with somebody. And um, I think that's where I'm very fortunate that I get to chat with people like yourself because I'm always learning. We're always learning. Um, and that's one of the best analogies I've ever got. So not only thanks for an awesome podcast, but um, I really appreciate uh, the pencil. That's brilliant. Now, here's where this... Uh... The parable is called the parable of the pencil, and it's from my favorite author, Anonymous. <laughs> All the research I haven't found, and if somebody knows who's who's the who's the author of this, um, it, it has a spiritual side to it. Maybe it came from that type of environment, uh, but I've never found who's actually the, the one that put it. To, so I've I put a little spin on it. Uh, it's a little bit easier to to get it, but uh, I will send you at least that. Uh, uh, it's uh, part of our newsletter. Um, somebody was asking, so I deep dived or deep dove uh, into it, and uh, so I'll send you a copy so that you that'd be that you have it. That'd be brilliant, mate. And anonymous, I reckon it could be. Uh, you could put your name on it, Jada. You said you sold it to me very well, mate. I was uh, I was convinced that was yours. <laughs> Use it. I'll oh, use it. I definitely will. If you if you if you if you want, I'm like I have no problem. Um, somebody shared that with me, and I, I did my uh, due diligence. I did my research. Couldn't find it. I'm very grateful for that person to, uh, that shared a, a version of it. So I just spend it and 
made it into uh, my version, uh, but uh, feel free to use it because uh, it resonates, right? Like for yeah, me, big time. I found that there's four levels of awareness that you're going to come in life. There's environmental awareness, there's situational awareness, there's self-awareness that leads to legacy awareness. So environmental awareness is a moment in time where you discover, experience something new. When I went to spy school, didn't know anything about that, or the interrogated <laughs> course, that's environmental awareness. Situational awareness is a moment in time where you get to apply what you discovered and experienced in environmental awareness. That's when I deployed over in Bosnia. Okay, well, environmental awareness, I became a contact handler. Okay, situational awareness. Okay, well, I got to apply all the skill sets that I learned. Self-awareness is the moment in time where you, 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 uh, where you can protect yourself from yourself. You know your strength, but you also know your limitations, right? So that you don't get into trouble. So self-awareness is the key because if you don't have self-awareness, if you don't have a model of reference, you'll revert back to environmental awareness, situation, environment, situation, more education, more, more education. more. So when you keep on looping the environment and the situation over and over and over, I call that a TED moment, temporary enthusiasm disorder. And you go get, you get more training, a situation, more training. But once you have self-awareness, when you know that you know that you know Right? You know that your strengths will carry you. Your lower strength should concern you so you don't get blindsided. And that's how you protect yourself from yourself. But from there, you're going to be able to move to the highest level, which is where you want to be with that rapport ladder, with the parable of the pencil, which is the legacy awareness, where everything that you've invested right outlives you, that your life mattered, that you made a difference in other people's lives. So the four levels of awareness is key. Situation for uh, I mean, self-awareness for me is, is the most important one uh, because from there you can catapult yourself in that legacy uh, and leaving your mark on every surface or every interaction. What you shared a little bit before, you reminded me of the rapport ladder. You think I have given everything? I haven't given everything. <laughs> Keep going. Because the rapport ladder, you said in regards to your connections, See, when I was working overseas, I saw that in every interaction, I either compete or complete that interaction. Two similar personas will complete a who's in charge, a, uh, who's the smartest. Like there's a compete or complete. And the two words in English, they're very similar. But one has the letter L in it. Until you can find a common link, common like, common love. No connection. Oh, that's you that's need more to drop. find the common link, the common yes. life, the common love. Because once you make that, you have a connection. I'm not a big advocate of instant rapport. I do believe you can make an instant connection with people if you can find that common link, common like, common love. So from there, it's a rapport ladder, as in you're going to move up the, that ladder because trust and relationships will come into play. Like there's certain personas before I can do business with you, I must first trust you. But others, before I can do business with you, I must first like you. Mm. So the task-oriented individuals, trust is earned based on facts. Once you have acquired it, they will then want to build a relationship with you, a professional relationship. On the people side of life, once I like you, I will trust you with my personal information. So relationship and trust, they just come in different aspects. Yeah. 
But then when you're at that level, then you can hit the rapport, which is the highest state of relatability you can have with two people. And then the ladder has four rungs. So it's listening, observing, discerning, and speaking. Listening, observing, discerning which personas to adopt, and then speaking that persona so that they can receive your message versus resist your message. We oh. should connect in Australia. Well, JJ, I'd love that, mate. If uh, you uh, make your way down to uh, Melbourne, mate, it's uh, a lot further down than uh, the Gold Coast, but it, uh, I have it a is. Cousin. There you I go. have a cousin that lives oh. there. There you go. There's yeah. always a reason to come down, mate. Um, hit me up and I'll uh, definitely enjoy a catch up and I can learn a little bit more off you. I might have mastered the pencil by then. But uh, uh, JJ, thanks so much for being on the show. And for listeners, again, this is episode number 308. I'll have links for everything we've spoken about. Um, and more importantly, uh, if you want to see JJ live next year on the Gold Coast, uh, you can do so. Reach out to him and I'm sure he'll uh, mention the dates and exactly where it is when uh, he secures a venue. If they mention your pot, episode 308. Yep, there you go. 25%. Ooh, look at that. How good is that? Everyone, lo everyone loves a discount and a bargain. I appreciate that. So, all right, JJ. Well, but they have so much. to mention your podcast. Okay. Episode 308, Energetic Radio. Get a mention. Code name, code name 308. <laughs> okay. <laughs>